Welcome to this week's episode of Real Estate Served on the Rocks, powered by Fathom Realty here in Colorado. On this week's episode, the guys cover topics ripped straight from the headlines, such as, are Gen Z really going to take over all the baby boomers' homes? And are home prices really going to appreciate 7% this year? All while enjoying some amazing wild turkey rare breed bourbon. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Real Estate Served on the Rocks, powered by Living in Colorado, the Mile High Perspective on YouTube. Check us out if you guys haven't. I swear to God, we've got some good stuff on there. And uh, we're doing things a little bit differently today. Uh, normally, Charlie has his voice. It has gotten stolen from him. So we're going to find out who did that. But uh, uh, as it always... Was that one chick from The Little Mermaid. Oh, might have been, yeah. It's a little little pearl. Yeah. Um, so we'll do the intros a little bit differently. But today, I am with... Charlie Sardelli. <laughs> Oscar, Oscar Ibarra. <laughs> and Jameson Honoros. <laughs> Uh, if you guys didn't hear that, that is Charlie Sardelli over here to my right. And uh, we got a good episode today, guys. It's going to be kind of a chill one, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, every once in a while, we like to go and kind of pull some, rip some headlines from the news and just kind of talk about what our opinions are because, you know, I, my personal thing is if somebody can write a news article about an opinion, I can have an opinion on his opinion Absolutely. or her opinion. And we, we talked about this. Um, we were coming back from Monument. I said, you can, you can hedge your argument on whatever point you want yep. you want to, you want to make, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Take one point, you don't like it, spin it off and promote it. Yep, so I think we're going to pull two or three headlines, talk about it today, uh, give you guys our opinion and hopefully some insight. We're coming into uh, 2024. We all think that this year is going to be a lot different than what we saw last year. Uh, what extent of that difference, we, we have yet to see. Um, but a lot of news has come out, uh, whether it's interest rates, whether it's inventory levels, whether it's a good time to buy a home, a bad time to buy a home. Um, there was an article on here that said, you know, should you buy new construction uh, Gen Z's are coming for baby boomers' houses as they die off over the next 30 years. So some interesting stuff. So we're going to talk about it. 30 um, years. Yeah. Yeah. Is yeah. That pretty oh. accurate. Oh, I got it. Yeah, 30 years, right? Their 60s and their 90s. The, the early boomers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like 19, I think it's like 1950. What's to the cutoff for boomers? I think it's the 50s, right? No, but like the 40s? The youngest ones, 60s. Oh, 60s. Yeah. I think yeah. It's like 65. 65, I think. 65. Yeah. yeah so the younger boomers at 65. Between oh, 95 and 30 yeah. years. Because you know then it's I mean? like 65 to what? Yeah, they're, they're calling it, it's called the Silver Tsunami, if you guys want to get super <laughs> the technical. The Silver Tsunami. It sounds tsunami. like a WWE wrestler. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> In the red corner, the Silver Tsunami. <laughs> Crowd goes wild. It's like the Crimson Tide. Uh, and I believe today we are, as you guys know, um, we're three Denver-based realtors for uh, Fathom Realty here in Colorado. We service the entire front range. So if you guys ever have any questions on anything from Colorado Springs all the way up to Fort Collins, west out to Alma, Colorado, Hugo. Bailey to Hugo. Bailey to Hugo. Uh, let us know. We'd love to help. And uh, we'd like to come on here and just kind of give you guys our, uh, our riffs and opinions on different things, all things real estate, to educate you guys. And the goal, as always, is to make sure that anybody that's looking to get into the real estate journey in any capacity, buying, selling, investing, is armed with the best possible knowledge that you guys, that we can give you, so that when you guys are making those decisions, you can make them in full faith that, uh, that you've done your due diligence and hopefully we're there to help. And uh, we always do it, drinking some bourbon. Absolutely. And also, we're not too proud to say if we don't know the answer, we'll, we'll get it for you. Yep. It, it'll be for you and far between. Um, but if we don't, we'll definitely get you the best, uh, the best advice that we could. We'll call other agents and or research it. Oh, yeah. Talk to other experts, title companies, um, lenders. Yeah, we have mortgage a plethora brokers. Of, of connections. Yep. So today, Oscar, what are we drinking, man? We are drinking wild turkey rare breed. It looked cool. I'm not going to lie. I have zero information on it. Um, I do know wild turkey. I, I gave a bottle to a client of mine, but it was wild turkey royal bird or something like that. Uh-huh. It was their, their high end. It wasn't cheap, but it was really good. I was surprised. Um, I bought it just because it had a great display, and it was during Thanksgiving, so it was kind of a play on that. I was I was impressed because, as most of you know, Wild Turkey is not known to, for having the best bourbon or whiskey or whatever. Um, it has a pretty bad rap, but after tasting that one, I was like, okay, they have potential to have great stuff. I saw this one. I've not purchased a whole lot of Wild Turkey in my my time. So I'm hoping this is good. It's 100 and I think, I believe 105 proof. And it should be one of their better bottles. I actually think there's 116 proof. Is it? Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah, I was in a rush getting here this morning. Yeah, I was going to say, this is their, their, their barrel their cast, proof, right? Their, yeah, yeah. Their cast strength. Um, and this is going to be like a, uh, 
a redemption story for Wild Turkey with us because the uh, it was a Long Branch. It was Long Branch. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? But with that said, I wasn't here for that one. Mm-hmm. But I'm a huge fan of Matthew McConaughey. So if he says <clears throat> go, I'm gonna go. Well, He's we just went. That guy. We went, and I'll tell you, it wasn't good. Hopefully, the tequila brand that he just launched is better than the Long mm. Branch partnership. See, and that's where I draw the line. I'm not a tequila guy. Yeah. I'll drink it. I mean, hell, give me a few bourbons or beers and then yeah. hand me some tequila. <laughs> See, I, I I'm love a tequila, tequila drinker. I love it. I, and, you know, so I like good tequila, yeah. right? Um, the sipping kind. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're just going to throw back shots or, you know, I like no. margaritas and palomas. I love yeah. palomas. Those are, my, those are my favorite. If I'm going tequila, paloma's good, mm-hmm. which is grapefruit juice, tequila, um, some lime and, you know, some so, salt. That's good stuff. Uh, speaking of... Los Dos Portrios, or Portillos, Por- just opened Dios. in Castle Rock. Went there yesterday. If you guys haven't checked it out, you're in the area, fantastic. I'm excited. We, and they uh, have their own service site, yeah. So really? they brew their own beer on site. Damn, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, we used to go to the one in Littleton. That was old, Littleton, yeah, Littleton was the old school one. Yeah, and yep. uh, we used to go Sunday's bottomless mimosas. Mm-hmm. They didn't use the best champagne, but it was a fun oh, yeah. Fun time. Yeah. And they have that ooey-gooey Mexican food, too. Oh, yeah. It's, it's good, the dude. cheesy, saucy stuff when you're hungover. I had oh a my God, barbacoa enchilada smothered in green chili. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you're going for, like, oh, my God, authentic and being snooty, nah, whatever. But they're just good. I, I like them for what they are. And yeah. I have history with them for the little two ones. Yeah. Check it out. It's good. Uh, two things about this wild breed that make it unique. Number one, all of these are aged at least five years. Dope. Minimum. Weren't their blends like five to eight mm-hmm. and then 12? Yep. Up to 12 years? Yep. And I think that was the one that you had, the Wild yeah. Turkey Royal. The other thing is, and I, I've never heard this term before, but they, there's four levels of char on American oak bales, barrels one, two, three, and four. They will only use number four, which is the deepest char, also called the alligator char, hmm. which is why the amber color on this is significantly darker than a lot of the whiskeys and bourbons that we've tasted. Hmm. That's cool. Yeah. So it's charred so much that it looks like alligator scales. Uh-huh. Alligator nice. char. Yeah. Nice. Pretty cool, huh? Yeah. So I'm excited. Okay. I mean, 115 proof. I mean, we've been running. That's back the, to back because we had we had 115. Three in a row. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> three in a yep. row. Yeah. And if you're gonna have me pick one, I'm probably gonna go with the higher end yeah. just because I like. Again, I was talking to the guy at Bubbles this weekend when I was when I picked up that Dexter for my buddy. <clears throat> that uh, the burn is part of my flavor profile now. I mm-hmm. I, I enjoy it. I mean, not the, oh, my God, it's ethanol, but, um, you know, a good burn goes with a well-balanced bourbon. Well, and I had, uh, I was telling, telling Jameson that I had, uh, over the weekend, I actually had some Johnny Walker Blue Label. Oh, I love that stuff. And uh, that, the smokiness have not, I have not had a bourbon yet that touches that. But, again, it's a scotch whiskey. And I, I will say that for my palate, it was confirmed I don't, I'm bourbon. I ain't bourbon. fucking with scotch, bro. Bourbon whiskey, and you know what? not scotch whiskey. If, uh, so, I don't, uh, my buddy Ian, he's Scottish. Um, he told me how to pronounce it, but Belvini, um, yeah. or Belgini. I don't know how you pronounce it, but it's, uh, that's why your, your go-to start scotch, because it's, the peat is way down. It's super smooth, 80 proof. Um, but if you didn't like, because Blue Label is smooth. Yeah. I mean, Blue Label is like, oh, my God. It, it makes, see, it it makes a lot of that other crap. Obviously, you know, there's It's also a $200 bottle. Right. Yeah. And, and you, you, you have your scotch drinkers that want that peat, mm-hmm. like the McAllen, uh, uh, some Glen Fedex, um, Glen Moraine, whatever. Glen Livet. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, whatever the case may be. But, yeah, if you, if you really want to know whether you're a bourbon drinker or not, drink that some was, scotch and you're like, oh, I, I love yeah. you, bourbon. I'm yep. sorry. Yep. Uh, back. This the the taste of this also makes. Sorry, I cheated. Oh, okay. We we had a neck pour. All right, so I'm not <laughs> disappointed. But I want to smell it. This makes way more sense. So because I, I I read the names, is like wait a second, Oscar. What what's one of your favorite bourbons that you've had? Elijah Craig. Uh, that's a ten year. We've talked about it before. McKenna, Russell. Oh yeah, Russell. Yeah, right. Russell's a good one. So the master distillers uh, for Russell are. Um, Oh my God, where did you go? Hold, please. Uh, Jimmy Russell and Eddie Russell. Those are the master distillers. They've been with Russell. That's their family for years and years and years. They're also the master distillers, master distillers of wild turkey. No way. Yep. 
So is it like Russell? It's an offshoot of Russell. So is Russell like the Infinity? I don't. And then, I don't know. That's and, what I was then, trying to figure out. And then out. while Tricky's like the Nissan. That's what I was trying to figure out. I think they just have two different. I just don't know. I would assume that Russell is the Lexus to yeah, Wild Turkey's to Toyota. Toyota. Um, but well, that's what I said. Infinity and Nissan. Sorry. Yeah. Or yeah, Porsche to Volkswagen, too. whatever. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. But it's wow. two separate distilleries, which is also weird. So they just got two different jobs. Uh huh. Yeah. I mean, and two different products because that Russell's really good. Well, actually, hold on. This but this is, is I haven't, I, haven't I, I had the neck pour wasn't enough to give me a, what? a okay a, an no got it here it is they run the wild turkey distillery and they distill russell from wild turkey huh yep it would make so sense. wild turkey this. russell's reserve debuts a 10 year old kentucky straight bourbon in 2001 bottled at 101 proof for the first 10 year well, i was gonna say though it makes sense because wild turkey is yeah one of the ogs yeah you know so yep. that, that does make sense i mean when you when you think Bourbon and whiskeys, Wild Turkey's up there. Jim Beam, Jack Daniels, um, all those guys. You know, they've been there for roses. Yeah. Um, Wild Turkey's up there. Uh, Again, they get a bad rap because Wild Turkey does have that cheap stuff. Yeah, so I think it it looks like the Russell is more of the experimental small batch line of Wild Turkey. And Wild Turkey's got their heavy hitters that they've been distilling for since 2015. And again, the cheap stuff. When I say the cheap stuff, I mean, if I go somewhere and... uh, I don't like overpaying for pours of bourbon. I just don't. Yeah. Even yeah. bottles of bourbon. But um, if I go somewhere and like, I don't know, and Elijah Craig is like 20 bucks a pour, <laughs> no. If they have Jim Beam, I'll take some Jim. Mm-hmm. Jim is good. It's cheap, but it's good stuff. Mm-hmm. It's not like, you know, McCormick out of the plastic bottle vodka. It's not that cheap. It's just, it's a tried and true. You know, they do what they do and you know what you're going to get. Um, I just can't stand, and I get it. You have overhead, but when you're charging that much, good lord! How are you guys doing on the uh, on the nose for this? I'm yeah, just it's curious. Some, I mean, the burn's been, definitely there. Yeah, the burn's <clears throat> there, but it's also sweet. I was going to say it's, it's very. Once sweet. you get past the burn, surprisingly sweet mm-hmm. for 116 plus the number four char. Yep, that's wild. And it has a like a floral. A floral yeah. nose. Well, it. we know we know though that the longer that 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 bourbon interacts with wood, it pulls those sugars into the. You would think it would be a little bitter because yeah. of the yeah. alligator char. Mm-hmm. You know, I I I would think it was charcoal, more charcoal, earthy, yeah. and uh, we'll see what it tastes like. Definitely but. getting that that caramel vanilla sweetness. Yeah, so this is a this specific <clears throat> bottle. These are it's a mix of a six, eight, and twelve year aged blend in nice. a single barrel. Okay. So, yep. I'm getting like a floral, like a vanilla. Vanilla bean flower ish. I'm getting a little bit of like rose. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. But like a. I, not, not like a long stem rose, but no. those bush roses yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. that have the petals. The yeah, I was going to say it's more like a rose petal. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I'm interested well. to see like how. I think this is going to be one where the flavor is completely different from the nose. Right, so, what do you guys got for aromas? I heard rose, rose petal. Rose petal, caramel. Yep. Some vanilla. Some vanilla. I'm not getting a lot of spices. Okay. I'm not getting a lot of spices. I'm getting a lot of a floral, car- yeah. caramel, vanilla. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Orange. So the, the nose should be spring flowers. There you go. So dead nice. on with the rose. Uh, a touch of black pepper. So it's not built to be spice Basically. forward. Mm-hmm. And then almonds, which that can kind of go towards that vanilla, yeah. nutty yeah. kind of yeah. scent. Mixed with layers of honey and dates. Okay. Dates is probably where I can where, see yeah, the where dates where mm-hmm. the sweetness is coming yep. from. For sure. Honey dates, yeah. All right, well, cheers, boys. All right, cheers. It's going to be a fun one. <clears throat> I haven't had any breakfast and Charlie can't talk. Oh, wow. Has a very dry feel in the mouth. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of burn. Or at least a drink that I... <clears throat> I guess the pepper. A little more bitter than... It's funny that the, 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 the spice comes forward on the tongue way, way more, more than more. on the nose. Yeah, it's like and it's like on the mm-hmm. sides of my tongue. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, it's a lot 
more peppery than mm-hmm. than the the nose a yeah. lot more it took me by surprise i yeah. took a big old sip of it and I it's get a just, lot more it, of the chart too. And it's just lingering. It's not even going down. It's just lingering. The burn's yeah. definitely there. It's 115 proof for sure, 16, whatever it is. Um, wow. I mean, I can, yeah, that char, 100%. Like right at the front, spice, mm-hmm. char, wood. Mm-hmm. Then it goes into that, like a little bit more of the floral. It's almost like a, I don't want to say stale, but like even. It's not very acidic. Right. No. But it very, it's kind of neutral. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now neutral. that I took a more yep. normal drink, um, I took a pretty big chug the first one, and it just it blasted me. This one, um, I could I could taste the vanilla, the yeah. sweeter in the, in the tip, on the tip yep. of my tongue. Um, it lingered a little. It, it was a lot more. The sweet was in the front, but still bitter. Mm-hmm. It's very bitter, and the bitter lingers. Yeah, that spice stays. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's like in my cheeks. It's weird. It's... This is interesting because I feel like with a lot of other 115 proofs, like the last three, it was the sweetness that sat. Mm-hmm. Like the aftertaste was the sweetness. Mm-hmm. I'm getting way more of that floral on the sitting, on the back end. A yep. little bit of sweetness there, but not not what I was expecting on the mm-hmm. back end. I think this is more of a, you know, this is something, obviously I didn't know, I could only assume. If... Uh, like someone's grandfather is gonna pick up some yeah. good. It's just, mm-hmm. this is more of a of a old man. Um, I've had bourbon my whole life, and I want something. I'm gonna treat myself kind of bourbon. I've, I feel like this is right up your wheelhouse, though. Yeah, I like it. That's yeah. what I'm saying. It's a, it's it's. You know, I'm gonna grab a bottle of rare breed and go chew the fat on someone's porch. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. that's what I feel like this yeah. this paints a picture of for me. Hmm. I mean, it, yeah, interesting bottle. Yeah, it kind of sat me down and put me in timeout. Yeah. Not gonna lie. I was in the most this is the most it makes sense with the number four, but like mm-hmm. this is the most wood. Like mm-hmm. like burnt wood that I've gotten. Yeah, this is a hair on your chest <clears throat> bourbon. In a good way. Yes. Yeah. I mean it's definitely not like, oh gross. No. It's it's good, but it's honestly like you gotta be a manager. I'd be this. interested to see Well or, what or a this. woman that really likes bourbon. Sorry, I'm <laughs> I'd be interested to see what this was like not in a Glen Karen. Yeah, I feel like uh, more, and I didn't bring my, my thing. that that more mm-hmm. like flat, open surface area. I feel like would completely change. Yep. Yeah, I, I think this is a, a definitely um, just a a regular rocks glass mm-hmm. yep. kind of bourbon, like mm-hmm. a highball. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yep. Not this isn't a you know Glen Karen. Let's get fancy. This is a yeah. rocks glass uh, mm-hmm. highball kind of bourbon. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I mean, I think it's it's perfect that. Oscar, you brought up that you know this is an old man's bourbon. Maybe, <laughs> there, uh, maybe an old man that was born between I don't know, like nineteen forty and nineteen sixty-five. That I think that, that track. Yep. I think so. Um, it's a great segue. So thank you. It was okay. I do what I can. Brilliance is chef's kiss. Uh, first article. I'm going to give you the headlines first, then we can talk about it. Is move over millennials, Gen Zers are coming for baby boomers' houses, and the premise of the article is essentially saying that we're seeing this gap, right? And we talk all the time about affordability and how affordability is driven by inventory and how currently baby boomers own almost $15 trillion worth of real estate, which is double what millennials own and way more than the $5 trillion that Gen Zers own currently, right? Uh, and to break it down, right, millennials are, I think, 1981, or 79 to 1992 I think it's like eight, 1982 or something like that. No, 95. 95. Because I'm, I'm, I'm right there. And then Gen Zers, you're looking at 95 towards yeah. now 2024, mm-hmm. right? And then baby boomers are 1940s all the way up to the 1960s-ish, okay? Mm-hmm. And right now, the big argument is that there's not a lot of homes available because 90% of homeowners refied back two years ago. Of those 95%, a majority of them are baby boomers that are essentially aging in place and they don't really have a desire to move. So people are wondering, well, where are the houses coming from? Well, this sets up an interesting argument because essentially it says that over the next 20 to 30 years, you're going to have the baby boomers, and I, I, I apologize, but this is just what the article says, either die off or move into granny flats, nursing homes, assisted living, 
as they age from their current ages of, you know, 50, 65 to 75, 85. Okay. But in 30 years, 20 years, millennials are going to be past their prime home buying age, whereas Gen Zers are going to start approaching or be in the middle of prime home buying. So what they're saying, the article is saying is the millennials might actually skip a generation and you're going to see this flood of housing hit the market for the Gen Zers versus the millennials. Wait, where's the, what generation is between millennials and boomers? Gen Z and Gen X. Gen X is between boomers and millennials. Where the hell are Gen Xers? I mean, Gen Xers are in the same boat we are, but they they own more homes. But they've never been talked about. Not really. I'm technically a Gen X, I think, if you break it down. Yeah. At 19, born, like if I'm, I think the ages of like 32 and 38 are huh. Gen X. I, I'd have to look it up. Huh. It, I feel like it changes all the time. Yeah, but, I don't know what I am at this point. But the point is, they're saying Definitely that essentially, not a boomer. if you're a Gen Zer, so if you're, you know, the ages of 17 to 20, 25, roughly, in 10, 15 years, you're actually going to be potentially in prime position or to scoop up housing because... Or Gen X and millennials are the heirs of those properties. Yeah. Correct. And that's right. That, that could well, also be a possibility. The other thing that is interesting to me is we've seen such a boom in at-home care. Yes. Right? And we have the boomers who are sitting on tons of equity. So my question is, will the boomers hire in-home care to then die in the homes that they're in versus selling it or giving it away and going into those homes. Right. And if you're listening, boomers, I have the perfect plan for that. It's called the reverse mortgage. Yeah, yep. we actually, mm-hmm. we were just talking about that before yep. the podcast. So real quick, let's just define this. So Gen X, 1965 to 1980 is when they were born. Millennials, 1980 to 1995. Okay, I think I know why we don't hear about the Gen Xs as much. Mm-hmm. They're, they're the hippie generation. Yes. That's what they're known as. Yes. Yeah. So my parents are on the cusp. My parents are technically baby boomers because they were born in 1960, mm-hmm. right? But 1965 would be Gen X. And they are sometimes looped into the baby boomers as far as the housing market stats go because they were buying houses. Wait, time out. Go ahead. No, 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 no. They're not the hippies. They're the children of the hippies. If it, uh, yes, no. yeah, yes, yeah, because the right, hippies right. were the 60s. Yeah. They were the 60s. They had their children, which yeah. Gen X's yeah, 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 are yeah. their children. Yeah, you're right. And yeah. I think they're kind of, I don't know, they're kind of fucked up. Yeah. So let's, let's, <laughs> they were hippies, and now that's what we don't talk about them because they'll cut you. So let's define this, right? So baby boomers, anybody born between 1946 and 1964. Generation X, 1965 to 1980. Millennials or Gen Y. I don't know why we have two names. Uh, Y2K? Yeah, 1981 to 96. Zoomers, so the opposite of boomers because they move faster because they're not <laughs> decrepit. I don't know. Yeah, we're, we're or just... Generation Z is 1997 to 2012. And then Generation TikTok. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Generation, they're calling it Generation, generation Alpha is 2010 to the mid-2020s. So essentially what we're saying is Gen Z and Gen Alpha in this next 20 years are going to see baby boomers age out of their homes and potentially have way more options than the current millennials and Gen Zs have now as far as available housing. It's going to be so cool to see, like, because, again, millennials don't have the opportunity. Right. So it's going to be really cool to see, like, will the boomers leave it to their kids? Right. And will those kids take it? Or will they go, ha give me my money? Well, I think two <laughs> things. If they do age in place and stay home... Mm-hmm. If they do reverse mortgages, I think they'll end up selling it off. Yeah. Either way, where there's tons of, or because no one wants to inherit a bunch of debt, right? Mm-hmm. So if there's a bunch of debt uh, tied to it, sell it. Let's pay well, it and it depends, it. though, right? Because we've talked about mm-hmm. it. How many we said is 52% of homeowners currently, oh, or have 50% or more equity? And I think 32% mm-hmm. own their homes outright. So yeah. if the aging in place continues to happen from now for the next 10 to 15 years, that 32% is going to increase. And we'll, we may have an opportunity where when they do leave it to them, they're leaving them a debt-free house. Yeah, yep. but, but if they do a reverse mortgage, right? Correct, yes. So Depending if, on what they're If they, if they yep. tap out all their equity, yes. they'll be on the market. Well, that's a great point. Uh, we were talking about your grandma earlier, oh, or, right? Or they leave it alone either way. I don't, I don't know. Well, no, but that's a good point because, you know, if you look at assisted living, 
that's an, that in and of itself could be a whole other episode where mm-hmm. we don't have enough elderly assisted living facilities in the United States to handle this influx over the next 10 to well, 15 boomers, years, right? What, what, what's, the, what's the number on each generation? Like, what do like, you mean? Boomers and millennials are the biggest, right? As far as, yes, boomers, yeah, boomers, millennials are 75 million, boomers are like 68. Yeah, and that's mm-hmm. why we don't hear about the right. Gen Xers because there's only like five of them. Well, <laughs> and you, you have two different forces happening, but my point on when we talk about reverse mortgages or HELOCs or something, if I own my house outright and I'm 65, 70 years old, right? And over the next 10 years, I have to move into an assisted living. Because we don't have enough assisted living facilities, it's just like the housing market, supply and demand. I mean, have you guys looked at how much well, per month that's, assisted that's active I mean. adult communities are? Well, They're but that's expensive. what I mean. That's why we're already seeing a growth unprecedented in at-home care. Right. Because of that. But fact. at-home care is also extremely yes. expensive. Mm-hmm. So my point is, and to, to back up what Oscar's saying is, there's going to be an interesting dynamic where do the houses that are getting left to like the Gen Zers, for example, if that's an opportunity, are they debt-free because they're paid off? Or did they have to take out reverse mortgages, cash out refis, HELOCs to then pay to be in at-home care that's costing five, $6,000 a month? Because mm-hmm. we also know that of the majority of the Americans, we talk about all the time, right? Less than $1,000 in savings, maybe $1,500 in savings. That includes baby boomers. A lot of their equity is tied up in their home. But if they once they retire... And now all of a sudden they have to go to an assisted living because they have a two-story house and they, they don't want to age into a, a single family ranch or something like that. If they don't have enough money, where they don't they don't have their 401ks, they've got equity in their home. What was it like? Like Greek culture, Viking culture? It was like once they got to a certain age, <clears throat> they would be like, hey, go jump off that mountain. Yep. <laughs> You're a burden. Yep. Go. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's, like, it's crazy to think about, though. I mean, you don't know, right? Yeah. I mean, I think those stats... They're going to be interesting. I think Gen Z will definitely have a crazy market, mm-hmm. but I think the millennials and Gen Xers are the ones that are going to manage that market with the um, whatever trusts or you know they, if they inherit the homes. But then, they're the ones that are going to be deal with it. So they're the ones that are going to decide what they're going to do with them. But the Gen Zers are definitely going to take advantage well, of what's going to happen to that market. And let's go back to what, three or four episodes ago, three episodes ago, where Gen Z middle schoolers are already talking about how to fix the housing market. So, Oh, they're not even going to buy these houses. Well, they're going to go, yeah. you go dig a mound say, and, and put solar. You literally have an entire generation that watch housing struggle. So, like, are they going to be like, yeah, housing? Or are they going to already have created and have the systems in place to be like, no, nah, I'm And, you know, that. a lot of that's going to be personality, too, because yeah. at home, my two little ones... Mm-hmm. My five-year-old, community, all day. He'll do community living and love it. My little girl, uh, don't touch her shit. She will <laughs> cut you. She'll well, and here's, so here's a, when we talk about uh, housing inventory, right? So Zillow's done a study. Granted, we don't take Zillow by gospel, Zillow. but they do have a lot of data. Their estimation, and this, so this is where this comes from. So right now, 79% of baby boomers own their homes that they lived in, compared to 52% of millennials and 26% of adult Gen Zers. Okay. I love how they just skip over the Xers. Well, I'm because the, the Xers I think are just tied into the millennials. I think that's what's happening. Yeah. Or baby boomers. They're that weird in between because they came out in 1965. Right. But then they hit that. Cause another interesting fact, you guys think affordability is bad. Now, technically, if you take into account average wage, average home price and interest rate and average mortgage payment, it was actually more expensive to purchase a home in the 1980s than it was than it is today. 1980s, um, I believe, the interest the most rate was expensive, like 18%. 18%. I can't most wait expensive for you to, time I can't, in, in. I can't wait for you to put that soundbite on social media. It's the most. It, it is the yeah. It is the most expensive time in U.S. history so far to have purchased a home was in the 1980s. Just it, it was a weird jump. The 80s into the 90s. Correct. It was a weird um, jump. But elder millennial here, you saw a lot of that with with the auto and, and housing yes. market. Yep. But that being said, right. So I think that's why they're not mentioned as much because they're in that weird, that transitionary period. But Zillow is estimating that more than a quarter of the nation's owner-occupied homes, which is about 20 million units, would hit the market over the following two decades as a a result of boomers aging. And that cycle is expected to peak around, uh, sorry, 1930, 2030. So in six years. 
Hmm. So for all of you that are like, when are housing, when is housing absolutely become more affordable? If this holds true and they do age out of their homes and they come back into the market, 2030 is probably going to be where we see home prices take a pretty significant dip based on the ability we actually have supply. So according to the data, one of the biggest generations are dying off depending on how, I mean, it's not going to happen overnight, right? It's not no. going to, you they know, all of a sudden, a all, silver all tsunami dead. or a silver glacier, depending right. on who you talk to. Uh, and, you know, as they go, I think the market will start shifting throughout that process. But the, the, the second biggest with this, the millennials, mm-hmm. I think they're going to, again, just, I'm, I'm very jaded. No, I don't want to say jaded. I'm tenured into the, to the system. Um, it's just, it's, I hate people that, that say that they know what they're going to forecast and do, right? I just do when it comes, not Zillow, because again, they have a ton of data, but just your average agents like, oh yeah, this is definitely going to happen. You never know if there's one thing that I'm certain is uncertainty in the market. So it'd be interesting to watch and see what the biggest generational group does and will happen. And it skips one generation. And then the second biggest influences the market. I, I don't know what's going to happen because I, I am of the elder millennials. I am very different from the younger millennials. We have a lot of similar traits, but the way we do things are very different. And then the Gen Zers are just off the rocker, right? So who knows what's going to happen with the market back then or when, when that happens. And we have the financial sector. What's that going to do? We do. And we, and also then, have, uh, we also have declining birth rates, which not a lot of people talk about, right? So when you have those Gen Zers and the Gen Alphas, like instead of having the, the two kids with the house and the picket fence, it may be one kid. It may be more people opting for no kids because of the expenses and inflation, the cost of living. The you've dinks. also got The Henrys and the Dinks. You've the also high got, earners not yet ready yep. and the dual income. You've also no got kids. the issue of, of, my, of uh, immigration, right? If well, we continue to tighten say. immigration... Legal immigration or not, you're and let's see how the government influx. sticks this foot in here, right? You know, because they always do. Yeah, there's gonna be. I mean, like I said, there's gonna be a lot. If you look at this on a macro scale, there's a lot of large events that are happening over an extended period of time that we don't know. I don't think that the baby boomers dying off are gonna solve the housing market because if it does take a long time, for the most part, markets will adjust, right? And if all of a sudden you start to see housing prices decline. People like us may look at it and go, okay, well, I can't make money off my house selling it, so I'm just going to turn it into a rental. If I turn it into a rental, I'm not adding anything to the inventory. I'm just going to buy another house, renting out this house because my home lost 20% of its value. Correct. So there's a lot of different things. Like if it was an overnight thing and all of a sudden 20 million homes got dumped into the market, yes, you would start to see, I mean, shit would go wild. Right. But if it's this slow roll, the market's going to have time to adjust and it gives, like you said, time for other well, shit to happen. I mean, here's another... Perfect example, right? Like, <clears throat> as far as how fast it's going to happen, mm-hmm. we just went through the pandemic, which I was just going to say most that. of the people who passed were older, older folks who had homes, and it didn't really help very much, you know. Like, it, so it it's definitely going to be interesting to as, see. And and they're just going to get older. And mm-hmm. statistically, how often does a pandemic happen? Yep, I believe every ten years. Something huh. like that. I mean, not to the extent that we, not to the extent that what happened now, but we did have a pandemic, but we didn't, we didn't, it didn't, it didn't go the way it went this time around, but we had the bird flu. We mm-hmm. had the swine flu. Those were pandemics. H1N1. But, yeah. And, but we, we, I think it was flu, we right? nipped it no. in the bud when we needed to, this one just got a little out of hand and whatever conspiracy theory or non-conspiracy or whatever you want to believe, I, that's not what I'm getting into, but pandemics happen at least every 10 to 20 years. Mm-hmm. There's a lot involved in real estate, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, you look at the job market, right? One of the reasons that the, the housing market has remained so resilient when everybody was calling for it to crash coming out of COVID is because the entire, I just, uh, I don't want to butcher this stat, but in 2023, I want to say it was, I want to say the U.S. net gain in jobs was like 2.7 million jobs gained in 2023, which nobody saw happening. The reason it happened was because there was a lot of recapture of jobs that were lost during COVID and the shutdown. But for whatever reason, people weren't forecasting that. And that has led to the the Fed continuing to keep rates high. 
but it's also <laughs> led because anytime people have jobs, they have income, they can buy houses. We don't have inventory, so home prices have stayed elevated as well when everybody thought they were going to drop 30 40%. In certain markets they have, right, Austin, Texas being one of them, uh, Arizona has taken a pretty big hit, but places like California, Colorado, Idaho, Seattle, it has not gone. I mean, we were up 43% since 2020. Now over the last two years, we're down 6.5%. So we're still up 30-some percent aggregate is because things like a black swan event like COVID happens, but then and you all these people lose their jobs, but, I mean, the unemployment rate right now is 3.7%. Because you're still recapturing all of those jobs. It shows that the economy is is doing well. It's keeping inflation elevated, but it's keeping money in people's pockets. So yeah, I mean it's there's there's so many different factors that that affect a commodity, especially something that every human being needs, which is shelter. So on top yeah. of being a walk in thesaurus, you gotta not use references like Black Swan because I was following you and I had a lot to say and I just lost it all because once he said Black Swan, my mind went that way, and then I lost everything. And great movie I had about a, I had a dancer with really schizophrenia, good to say, and, and I lost it with with all the stats and ADHD, references. Everybody. <laughs> yeah, it got, and I haven't had breakfast, and this is starting to. Kick all right. In. Well, no, article but, article number two, and maybe and if you remember, we can come okay, back. Okay, fair enough. All right, because it, it, it was relevant. Well, then it go. Was. Do you remember? You just I, said you I lost don't. it. Okay, I, I don't. I, right. But it was just relevant. Keep, keep thinking. Okay. I, it might because he's kind of tying to each other, right? And this is going to piss a lot of people off, um, especially the people in our TikTok comments. Uh, housing market outlook. Top forecaster says home prices to climb 7% in 2024. Decline 7%? Prices to climb. Oh, to climb. 7% in 2024. Um, I, pulled, I pulled our stats in January just to see where we were, and we were up 1%. In, in, and I posted it. In a down market, we were it, up 1%. It only makes sense, though. I'm Sorry. not... I'm, I'm not surprised that they're forecasting that because yeah. we've become a seasonal market again. I know I say that a lot. In a quote-unquote normal seasonal market, we increase year over end 3 to 7%, depending on area, right? So that means it's going to be maybe a healthy market, but, but I mean, again, this is, I don't— I We've don't, been saying this We don't need it, and, and I'm a homeowner. Yeah. We don't need that increase. We need to decrease a little bit more just but, to— what catch I'm up with a lot of other stuff we've been saying this it only makes sense mm -hmm. the last three years prices are elevated people are sitting back and waiting and now we finally got the the goose egg rates are coming down when rates go down prices go up because more people compete um, it's just how it happens and you know i don't know i, I want to say i'm going to go ahead and um I'm going to lean towards the lower end of that 7%. So, again, this is, the a click, this is a clickbait article because when you actually look at it, his prediction is between 4 and 7%. Okay. They and just went ahead and said 7% so that I clicked on the article so we can come talk about it with you guys. I, 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 just, I, I, would, I would think 4% 4, 4 would probably be a little better because, yeah. you know, we got we had, we were looking at another article and you said that rentals were going down. Whenever rentals go down, guess what? So do house prices because people are going to go say, they're going to say, you know what? If I'm going to buy a house, uh, it's... I'm going to pay X amount of money, but if I go rent for another year or two, maybe save a little bit more money, you know, you have a lot of those people. Um, so I think our increase isn't going to be as much, but I do know that we're not in a decline because we still were up 1% year oh, yeah. over end in a, in a declining market. Yeah, I think you're going to see 4% California, well, not California, but Colorado, Texas, you know, like states like that, you're going to see 7%. States like North Carolina, states like Wyoming, Kansas. The Rust Belt. I yeah. think you're going to see a big gain in the Rust Belt. Yeah. Ohio, well, and, Iowa, and again, Illinois, I, I remember what Kentucky, I was going to say that, uh, that tied Pens into the other, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. the other article is um, I always say what, what type of buyer or seller needs to buy or sell. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, unfortunately, we'll start with the worst one, death. Mm -hmm. There's a death. You got to sell the property, whatever the case may be. Um, there's... Um, a divorce, mm -hmm. another bad one. Well, you, now you got to sell, but then there's a buy. So those are things that always you have to buy or sell. And then there's marriage, the happy one. There's marriage. There's kids. Um, you know, there's there's a, there's a few others. Downsizing. That, so empty nesters. Yeah, yeah, empty nesters. So there's there's those things that are going to influence the market, regardless of what the market does. You have to. Mm -hmm. But when there's a low interest rate, I'm moving because I want to. Correct. You know, and that's what happened during the pandemic. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's what drove all the prices up. People were like, I want to move. I can, yeah. you know, it's a damn near free money, 2% interest rate. Let's go. Well, and let's, let's talk about, again, the, these weird factors that influence what we might see, right? 
So you said it's death, divorce, birth, marriage, uh, and then empty nesters. And empty nesters, right? Well, if you look at the bounce back kids, though, wait. If if you look at empty nesters, right? That's not necessarily a thing anymore because, and I I, I can look it up. Rebound kids, I think but you got them. there is a there is a historically high percentage of college graduates and millennials that are living back at home with their parents, which are now forcing some of these baby boomers that would have normally downsized at this point to keep the size of the house for two reasons. One, stat. right? One, yeah, it, it lowers the, the mortgage right, mm-hmm. for both parties. It's cheaper for millennials so they can do it. But now you can't downsize because you got your 27-year-old kid and his girlfriend living in your basement for the next five years until it's until it's affordable. Yeah, well, as you say, and then and what are those kids doing during those five years? Right. Calling it the basement suite. Hopefully, stacking, stacking, stacking. Maybe, stacking. maybe. Mm-hmm. But but a lot of them aren't stacking because they're they're wanting to do, um, or what was it called? Um, oh, when they travel and, um, I, f- I forget what it's called. But they're they're seeing the world, right? Yeah. I don't I don't, I don't have to worry about housing. I don't want I don't want to worry about that right now. So right it's not like a sabbatical. Yeah, they're they're right. gonna go. Oh, Ram Springer, if you're <laughs> Amish, I, no. But so, with that said, yes, got it. That's an interesting. So here's the stat. Ready for this shit? Let's go. This is fucking wild. Now again, there's you can get polls from anywhere. This is from Harris uh, poll for Bloomberg, right? Forty-five percent of people ages eighteen to twenty-nine are living at home with their families, which is the highest figure since 1940. More than sixty percent of Gen Zers and millennials reported moving back home in the past two years, often because of financial challenges. So you're talking 45% of potential wow. home buyers are living back at home. That's insane. That's, a, that's and massive. Saving right? And, and, and saving I, money. I would like to know what, if you break it down to, to ethnicity. Yeah. Because oh, I'm his, sure that I'm Hispanics sure from, uh, are, yeah. so for the longest time, bless her heart, my grandmother on my, my dad's side of the family, yeah. she would flip out when I would tell her that I lived alone. And I lived by myself for the longest time. It was just me. I loved it. I set some down. It's always going to be there. I lived alone. I learned. I, I'm, I like to cook. I would love to say that I, I cook well. So I learned to cook. I, I enjoyed being alone. And it would, it would freak her out. Like, who cooks for you? Uh, me. Right. Uh, who, who, who does your laundry? I do. It flipped her out because uh, her generation and her kids, my, my, my uncles didn't move out until they were married. Mm-hmm. My dad either. Like she wouldn't allow them. No, you don't. No, 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 You stay here. Let me take care of you. No, no, mijito. No, yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm gonna take care of you. And you know, she would come across me and like, what are you doing? Yeah. I was like, I'm, I'm living my best life. Well, you know, and here's here's about? we we've used the stat a couple of different times because again, at the end of the day, people overcomplicate this housing inventory. And I'm responding to comments still about investors buying homes and so on and so forth. Here's the the fact of the matter is, home ownership by primary residences is 66. percent It's been that way. It's actually a little higher than it was. Prior to, prior to the pandemic, but 66% of homes in the United States are owned by, by primary homeowners, right? We know now that for every 1% that interest rates drop, 5 million buyers get unlocked. Currently in the United States, there's about 1.6 million homes listed for sale. So 1.6 million homes listed for Jesus. sale. If inventory or if interest rates drop by a percent, five million potential home buyers, including those that are living at home with their parents, that are high high income renters, uh, that are dinks, right? Dual income, no kids. Five million people potentially. Now let's say every single let's go on the high end, right? Let's say every single one of these people is a couple. So it's five million people, two and a half million, million, two and a half million households that can now buy. I have two and a half million people that want to buy one and a half million homes, right? I've got eight people that want to buy two apples. What can I charge for those apples? Whatever Premium. anybody wants to pay, right? So when Oscar says that that four to seven percent is looking highly likely, we already know that the Fed has said, hey, we're going to try and cut the fund rate three times, which means the interest rates have a chance of going to down seven points. even farther. While also providing more funding for first-time home buyers. I just right. brought that article up. Yes. Mm-hmm. And for ADUs and all that other yes. stuff. So they're... Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so they're, yes, there will be pockets that this is mi- not they're true. They're mixing the cauldron. Yeah, there will be pockets that this is not true. But over, like by and large, five million buyers get unlocked. And like I'm, I'm saying that every single person has a boyfriend, girlfriend, married, right? Which, if you guys are single, whew, that's hard to do, right? Well, let's say it's a hundred percent success rate. <laughs> so two and a half million people are going to want to buy 
one and a half million currently listed homes spread across the United States. It doesn't, the math doesn't math. Like prices will remain elevated and it will get worse the lower interest rates are because we don't have the inventory. It's just so wild. Now, now we're talking about a lot of stats, a lot of stats. And just to blow your mind, it, it, it's not just one thing that dictates the real estate market, but at the end of the day, it doesn't have to be that complicated, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you buy when you're ready. But understand, that's why when you ask us at, mm-hmm. at a party socially, so how's the market doing? Right. <laughs> really? Yeah. You, what part? Where should I start? And where are you in this? It, it's not a fair question to an agent to say, how's the market doing? What do you think it's going to do? Right. You just said a mouthful of a fraction of what the market can or will right. not do. Now, as the experts. Well, we're taking it, we're taking it all the way to baby boomers dying yeah. and a forgotten generation. How far do you want to go right? down like, this rabbit hole? Yes, exactly. You know? So please don't, don't think we don't want to have the conversation. Instead, what do you want and what are you looking for yes. is a better question Correct. Uh, for us to ask you. But understand that's why it's a tough question. If, and if you run into that agent, it's like, oh, the market's going to do this. Bullshit. I right. will call you out right now. Right. You don't know. What's blowing my mind the most? Did you say, what, 1.5 million for sale mm-hmm. right now? Mm-hmm. Wasn't the average like 3 million? Minimum. 3.5? Yeah, I mean, we talked about it, I think, last week. Denver, the Denver metro area used to average fifteen to 20,000 new listings a week. That's wild. And this week, we're at 809, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, I agree with Oscar. The question is not, how is the market doing? If you're a consumer looking to buy or sell, the question should be, what can I do to be prepared to jump in, right? And from a buyer standpoint, the reason we give you these statistics like, hey, by the way, we're going to probably see home price appreciation is so that you guys can take that opportunity to go, I'm going to get my finances right. I'm going to put a team in place, whether it's a lender, a realtor, a title company, and it's a home inspector. I'm going to start putting money away at a certain amount per week to hit a 3.5% down payment. I'm going to do my due diligence on, uh, on you know, down payment assistance programs, on first-time homebuyer programs, on grants. I'm going to look at different geographical areas that I can live that are maybe a little bit outside where I would normally want to purchase. I'm going to drill down on my wants and needs on houses so that I don't feel like I'm missing out. If I'm a seller, I'm looking at this going, okay, so what you're telling me is if I list my house this year, right? Obviously, we want you to list your house because we do need inventory because we want it to be affordable for everybody. But as a seller, now you go, okay, well, maybe I, I can talk to my preferred realtor, whoever that is. If it's us, great. If it's somebody else, no big deal. Ask these questions. What are the best bang for my buck improvements I can make? What are, is staging worth it? Is how important is pricing? Should I price high? Should I price low? What is my market in my specific neighborhood doing? What's the demand look like? And now you can arm yourself going into Q2 and Q3 in order to make the most money possible when you sell your house. That's that's what the conversation well, should and, be. And, and that's We're what, just trying to give you context as to why we think certain things are gonna happen in the market, and then you guys can make that decision based on what your specific plan is over the next six to 12 months. To simplify what Jameson is saying, yes, how's, what's the market, or what's the market doing is a great icebreaker. Instead, look, this is what I want to do. What are your thoughts? is a better segue into having a good conversation with that agent. And if you're just in an awkward situation with an agent and, you, and that's what you say, it's probably not the agent you want to use because he's awkward as all hell and you don't want to spend you know, whatever time looking for houses with him or her. Um, but I think um, if we could change the narrative of what, what's, uh, how's the market into, hey, this is what I'm thinking, what are your thoughts? Mm-hmm. I think that's a better conversation to have with your real estate agent. Yeah, yeah. and I think, I mean, we've, we've covered two pretty big topics today that have a wide range, and hopefully you guys understand that it's not black and white like a lot of people want it to be black and white. There's a lot of different factors and facets of the market that will affect different things. Um, so I think this is probably a good time to roll into a one rock takeaway mm-hmm. and uh, kind of summarize. We get into the third topic. I'm telling you, this is. I know. There's I a, know. It's an the, encumbersome the, the, the problem is if we do a third topic, we're going to be here for three hours, which we'd like it, but you guys are going to get bored. Um, but every week after, at the end of every episode, we do a one rock takeaway and it's basically our thoughts to kind of summarize what we think the key points are that we want you guys to take away. <clears throat> so I don't know, Oscar, Charlie, if you want to start what your rock takeaways are, Charlie, I'm going to sit on it for a second. Okay. Okay. Um, I think my one rock takeaway for today is, um, instead of your conversational piece being what's the market doing, because it's so it's it's encumbersome. I mean, it's it's not a conversation that anybody's going to be sure of. And if you have an agent that's sure of it, I'm going to call bullshit. 
Um, instead, say, hey, th- this is what I want to do. What are your thoughts and what advice can you give me? I think that's a way better conversation to be had. And you don't want to hear a bunch of bullshit stats anyway. What is your situation and how can I improve that situation? Or what's your situation? How can I ask to improve my situation? I like it. You still sitting on yours? Yeah, I'm going to okay. yeah, formulate it nope, a little bit. Nope, you're better. good. You're good. Uh, I think my, my one rock takeaway is that there is a lot of noise around the housing market, whether it's a good time to buy, whether it's a good time to sell. Is Do we have an affordability issue? Do we have an inventory issue? And people tend to narrow it down to this black and white if it's not this, then it's this. And I think that's a mistake that a lot of people make, but I understand it because not everybody is immersed in this market on a day-to-day basis, going out and showing houses, talking to clients, submitting offers, getting feedback from other agents and all of that kind of stuff. I think we do a good job of taking it to another level, right? With this podcast on purpose, because I, I'm a big context guy and I will never give somebody an answer without the reasoning behind it. And whether or not you agree, obviously that's on, that's on you guys, right? Everybody can have their own opinion. But I think it's important to understand that when you're looking at, you know, as a buyer or a seller, hey, is it the right time for me? It is 100% about your specific financial situation, familial situation, ownership situation, rental situation. Like it will be different for every single person that we talk to. Don't rely on the black and white headlines. We've, we've demonstrated it here, right? We mm-hmm. started talking about home price valuation and we got into how aging baby boomers are going to affect that and then how the percentage of millennials living home with supposed empty nesters are going to affect that. And the plan is the more information you have and the more context you have, the better your decision is going to be when you do decide to make that leap, whether it's looking to purchase a house for the first time or the seventh time or sell your house and upgrade, downsize, whatever you're looking to do. I, uh, that's a good point. I mean, we make it messy on purpose yes. just because there's a lot more involved, but your situation doesn't have to be that messy. Right. It could be very it's direct. It's our job to right. wave it's our, through it's our the job to make it messy so we can give the information so you see that there's more involved in it. Yep. I like that. I'm going to keep mine short and sweet, obviously because of my voice, but uh, I think the key is preparation. Mm-hmm. Right now, whether you're a boomer, whether you're a millennial, Gen Z, doing your best to prepare for if you need at home or if you need an assisted living, doing your best to prepare for, am I going to inherit a house or do I have to buy it a house? Or doing your best to prepare for, do I even want a house? Mm-hmm. I think preparing and knowing your options in this market is your best option. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go ahead and um, say, I love the Gen Xers. He, he left you out again. <laughs> we know you exist. Come, we hear come, you. I, I, I'm give you guys We're heart. with you. <laughs> Yep. Love me, the Gen Xers. Gen X with a heart. Yes. Um, all right, guys. I think this is going to be an interesting one. I'm actually curious. Uh, we're going to go into our rock rating. And for those of you guys new to the show, we do a rock rating on every single bourbon that we try. And it is on a scale of zero to 10 rocks. Zero being the best, 10 being the worst. And that's mainly because. I didn't know we had a zero. The bet. thought well, it was yeah. one to 10. That has to be a well, phenomenal we haven't, bourbon. We haven't for gotten. Zero. We haven't broken zero yet. We haven't even broken one. No, we got close. We got two. Um, but the premise is the more rocks you have to put in a glass of whiskey, usually the worse it is or the harder it is to drink. Less rocks, the better it is to enjoy. Uh, and this one is, um, <clears throat> I like that we had this <clears throat> on the heels of uh, Broken Barrel, mm-hmm. which well, and, and last again, week's episode was a 115 proof, small batch single barrel, aged five years. So very, very similar. Uh, completely different profile, though. To the to the new followers and the non-bourbon drinkers, the rocks are not to make it cold. Ice is not to make the bourbon cold. Ice is to water down the bourbon, to open it up, and mm-hmm. potentially make it Make better. it more palatable. Palatable, if palatable. you will. If the burn's high, you add some, uh, some water and or some rocks, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's where we're going with that. Because right now, if you just want it cold, leave it outside. It's freaking cold here in Colorado. I'm curious what you think. Ooh. It opened up. It did. It did. The sweetness, the sweetness came through. Pour. Sweetness came through hard. Um, but it is still the sweetness of the barrel. Not like it's not like a again, not a syrup sweetness, but that that caramel vanilla mm-hmm. really punched through. 
the spice tailor down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, the burn's still there. The burn is still there. Yep, absolutely. I think uh, I'm trying to wrap my my thoughts around what you just said because I, I'm feeling the same way. Um, it's not like an ad- artificial flavor added just for flavor or the syrup mm-hmm. kind of sweetness. It's a uh, it acquired this this sweetness from somewhere, whether it's the mm-hmm. alligator char or whatever the hell they're doing. But it is a sweetness that's incorporated in part of the body of the bourbon. Yeah. Not an, an afterthought of we're going to add this flavor to it. Well, it had that long, that long lingering spice. Yeah. Yes. And that it still lingers, but now it's intertwined with a sweetness. Like it it's more enjoyable better. sitting yeah. on the tongue now than it yeah. was yes. an hour ago. And Absolutely. Oscar, before we go through it, price point? Uh, $61, I believe. Okay. So last week was 54. Mm-hmm. And this is at a place that probably prices a little high. The higher yeah. echelon of, of price points. So what? you could probably find this probably 55 <clears throat> to 65. I think what was really getting me with this one is last week they specifically took a barrel apart mm-hmm. and put it in to get more of that wood flavor. But I feel like I'm getting more true wood in this with the number four char than I did with what they did mm-hmm. last week. And I like that a lot. And, and again, that's what, that's what I was, I, yeah. I agree a hundred percent. It's, it's more of a incorporated mm-hmm. flavor of mm-hmm. part of the bourbon. than let's try to make this bourbon tasty. Well, and think about it. That makes sense because we don't know what the char of the barrels were that mm-hmm. broken barrel used. We just know the barrel type. Yep. Right. And, and I know yeah. for a fact that if you're using a sherry cask, it's it is not a charred barrel. It's yeah. not going to be alligator right? char. It's not going to be, it's not alligator char. So I agree. I think that was more from the sweetness flavor profile. Yeah. This is more from that smoky oak. What if, I if, really I, if I like, may yeah. make a, a quick analogy, it's, it's more of when you, when you cook a really good steak, you want some salt, you want some pepper, and you're going to get beef flavor. Now yeah. you can make a plethora of steaks, Oscar steak, you add blue cheese, whatever the hell. It, it's yeah. going to be good, right? Mm-hmm. I think this is more of, this is how we make it. The flavor, I think the flavors are going to be consistent even though they use different age barrels. I'm, I'd be interested. They're all, to char, see, they're all number four char though. Yeah, so and I'd like, be interested yeah. to see if they all taste the same. I think across the board, this would probably taste the same and consistent no uh-huh. matter what. Agreed. I think what's cool to me is, you know, last week we compared it to, or I compared it to Prohibition, mm-hmm. the old Forester. In my head, and this isn't like quality, but level of sweetness and palate, it goes this wild turkey, then the broken barrel, then the pro, uh, the um, the prohibition when it comes to sweetness. Like, I really like this one. I don't even want to call it complex. Mm-hmm. I want to call it well blended. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, you get it's not like the flavor evolves. They didn't but, try and do too much. Yeah, yeah. But you get all the flavors. Right. So, like, for me, sipping wise, putting this up against the broken barrel, I would go with this over broken barrel because I just think that this is so much more well rounded mm-hmm. as, a, as a bourbon. I mean, category wise, I think this is up there with like an Eagle Rare and a, and a, and a Buffalo Trace. Mm-hmm. Every bottle, you know where you're going to get. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, yeah. it is what it is. Yeah. As far as category, as far I, as like, where I rate it. We got to put this on the back burner for who else uses a number four char barrel. Right. I would yes. love to compare yes. this Me too. to another number yeah. four char. Yep. Um, just because this is not, for me, at 115 proof. Yeah, the burn's there. But again, it's it plays into the flavor mm-hmm. so well that, yeah, I mean, as far as rock rating, numbers go. I think I gave the, the broken barrel a three- Three, three two something like that yeah three two if that's where this the broken barrel sits for me personally i'm gonna put this two eight hmm. yeah um it it was i was curious just because I, i've had their good stuff how this one was gonna play out and i think it just it holds its own for what it is mm-hmm. it, it's strong yeah. like it, it's it holds its base of what it is and hey this is but like when i think bourbon yeah, this, this is like prime example for me. And it's even on the sweeter side of what I would say. Yeah, it's a little sweeter. Yeah. It is sweeter, yeah. but it's not mm-hmm. a sweet that was an afterthought. It was a sweet of it's just going to happen because mm-hmm. this is how we do it. Yep. And um, 
it was it was interesting. I am having issues um, rating it because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I I'm gonna I'm gonna go for it, Jameson. I, I got to think about this because <clears throat> for what it is, I can respect this bottle. Uh, yeah, I mean, to me, this is the the word I would use to describe this bourbon, not flavor wise, just like what it is, is unapologetic. It it just knows what it is. It went, it goes old school. They they don't use water to distill it. They do a number four char, which I, I don't think a lot of bourbons do. It's Uh, risky. Scary. Yeah. Right. It is. It's, it's Mm -hmm. scary. You know what you're going to get. They age it for at least five years. So they just, they know, right. This is, this is what it is. So I, I do like that. I, this is, this reminds me of not to steal the name of another bourbon that we've had, but like, this is like a tin cup bourbon, like around a campfire, yeah. Pour it in there and you got an like experience said, from when you start to when you start to finish. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to have a good conversation with a decent bourbon. Yeah. To the yeah. Fat and I friend. and I think this is one of those bourbons that if you're a, a beginner drinker of bourbon, you're not going to like. Yeah, you won't. I you won't. It'll it'll I be agree. in a it'll be in an old fashioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd be curious with a couple drops of water. It, it would open it up even more, I think, especially from the sweetness standpoint. Um, but. I'm going to agree with Charlie. I put this up high. I put this better than barely, but I put it better than, than broken barrel. And I think for the same reason, like I think there's two different ways to do it, right? Not a lot of people use number four char and not a lot of people break barrels and put them in to age for four years. Right. So interesting. Am I going to change? No. So I'm passing around the JC's glass and JC's glass is more similar to a highball. Yeah. We'd start at the beginning. I'd right. be interested to see. Just to me, it opened up from floral bouquet to kind of like a, a sweet perfume. It's kind of weird. Not only that, the, I expected... The burn's gone. The burn. Well, I expected the burn to be a little bit more gone. Yeah, I mean, it's still there. Glass. It's still there with but that. But it's like, a, it's like a, if I could compare it to anything, I don't know, back in the day... I used to slick my hair back and yeah. put some hairspray mm-hmm. in it. Have you ever in, in, inhaled through your nose that hairspray? That's yeah. kind of the burn. It's yeah. not like a, oh, my God, but, ooh, it singes the, the hairs. Yeah, yeah. For the non-visual, uh, Jameson is uh, taking sips of Double fisting? It, double, he's double fisting. <laughs> he's taking a sip of what uh, we would pour for JC. Dude, those almond honey notes come through way yeah. more on this one. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. But it still has that char taste, which mm-hmm. I really like. Yep. Oh, I think. Man. What do we? You did a three-two for for broken. What do we do for prohibition? I did a two-five. For for prohibition. I did. I don't know what I did. I think I did two and a half. Two-five, right? I yeah. think so. I, dude, I man. I don't taste it. What? I, what? I, I I love it. I think it's closer to a two-five now. I, I love it because. Like you can tell, and again, this is the vessel we were talking about. Right. It's probably drink yep. better out of. Yes, yep. I, th- I think and this this closer for me. It's closer to two five. It's uh, the thing that gets me about it is the fact that it's a five, eight, and twelve year combination with a number four char. This is exactly what I would expect. One hundred sixteen proof cast strength. Punch you in the face with the ethanol with the, with the burn. Then yeah, but as it tailors off, sip that. Well, well, this is what I'm gonna say. As it tailors off, you get the oak of the char, but then because you have such a variation of age, the sweetness is prominent. Yeah, so, like, so, so it yeah. goes from punching in the face to slightly caressing your beard. And it, it goes from lovingly. I think the the, the neck yeah. pour to our yeah. initial pours, it, there was like a like a, a quick sour mash yep. hit you. In, yep. it, it was it was sour bitter. Now it's more of a sweet tart. Honest to God. What I would say is, after trying three now in a row, if you are going to have 115 proof, do not sip that bourbon within 10 minutes after you mm-hmm. pour it. Yep. Open it up. That's or it. open it, it open. and leave the bottle. And leave it yes. open. Yeah. yeah. And that's absolutely. my rule. If you ever yeah. come drinking at my house. Or, you know, I mean, I, it breaks the rules, but like put it in a decanter. Yes. So where, to where yeah. it can air out a little bit. Yeah. But um, I'm, I'm at a, I'm, I'll give mine right now. I'm at a 2.7. Yep. I, I'm I, right there with prohibition. If you ever come drinking in my house, mm-hmm. we pop open a bottle. I keep the cork off till we're done. Yep. That's yeah. just two seven. Yep. Yeah. That's it. Two seven. Fantastic. Yep. Two seven. Two eight. And what are you, where are you sitting, Oscar? I'm sitting at a three. 
Okay. I also think this is almost twenty dollars cheaper than Prohibition. No. Yep. yep. It is cheaper. Um, mm-hmm. I just like it a little more toned down on the floral yeah. and sweetness. Yeah. But yeah. it's definitely a solid like two three. seven two eight and a it, three. It, yep. it won't. It won't rattle from three. Yeah, I like it. And I'm, I think this is, it, like you said, unapologetic. Yeah. I am yep. who I am. You're going to like me or not. Yep. Yep. The awesome, bottle guys. sucks for pouring. Yeah, the bottle's horrible <laughs> for pouring. They got to fix that. The juice inside is great. Oh, damn. Um, well, thank you guys for sticking through uh, with us. I know it was a little bit more of a complicated topic, but I also think it's, again, it's important to discuss. And uh, thanks, Oscar, for the bourbon. Fantastic choice. Again, we've had awesome. a, a week of... Three weeks in a row of just some good stuff. Fucking bangers. Wild turkey, you redeemed bangers, yourself. baby. Bangers. You That's yourself. what I was gonna ask. Is yep. this better than? Oh the yeah, hundred percent. Hundred percent. Way better. Yeah, hundred percent. So bangers. Sorry, Matthew. Oh, yeah. um, you, so uh, before we wrap up, guys, like I said, if you're watching us on YouTube, if you're listening to us on a podcast channel, give us a like, give us a comment, give us a rating. Uh, we want to hear what you guys think about all this because I know it's complicated. Posted a video on our TikTok page, the Mile High Perspective, that's gotten a ton of views. Keep them coming. Uh, you can find us on YouTube at. The Mile High Perspective, living in Colorado, or living in Colorado, The Mile High Perspective. If you guys want to email us, it's R-E-S-O-T-R at themilehighperspective.com. And then if you want to give us a phone call, shoot us a text message, 303-578-0263. That goes to all of our phones. We're happy to answer any questions for you guys. As far as social media, obviously, we're all on there. Oscar, where can they find you? OscarTheRealtor.com, OscarTheRealtorCO, across the board. Um, and again, we had a we had one of our, um, our TikToks at... There was tons of comments. Oh, yeah. Maybe we're like we 60,000 views yeah, or something we, we, ridiculous. We may not be able to get to every one of them, but we love that. Keep them coming. Yep. It's also fun watching you guys argue with each other in the comments. It's entertainment. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can find me at that lifting agent or the lifting agent Instagram, TikTok. And then, or uh, your local um, urgent care. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> local urgent care. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. We'll see what happens. And uh, you can find me guys at the Colorado Real Estate Guy, basically Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. Uh, LinkedIn. It's Jamison Amaros if you guys want to connect with me there. But thank you guys again for tuning in. We will be back next week, hopefully with banger number four as far as the bourbon That'd goes. That'd be nice. And uh, yeah, if you guys have any questions, reach out. But uh, cheers, boys. Cheers. cheers. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Real Estate Served on the Rocks. And as always, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and for our weekly video version, subscribe to our YouTube channel at Living in Colorado, The Mile High Perspective.